Hi, it's Mike. It's Saturday. What a week. I feel like this is going to be the period where we always say something like, what a week, so I'll try to stop saying it unless it's really deserved. But this was a what a week. And every week, we bring you a best of segment, best of the week, and best from the vaults. Best is maybe not the best term to use, given the subject matter. But on Tuesday of this week, I talked about the motivations of Hamas or of Israel to put Palestinians in harm's way. Since that spiel, which we will replay for you, more has come to light about the many, could be hundreds of lives lost in the on the grounds of the Al-Akhi hospital in Gaza. Um, that informs the, the spiel that I did even more than I could have known when I was reporting it. And speaking of best, I don't know if it's best to talk about Jim Jordan, but he is certainly in the news. So I went back and I didn't go back. My producer, Joel, went back and he found this, I think, really good spiel from July of 2018. And so it does two things. It orients you, the listener, of most of the allegations against Jim Jordan regarding his time as an Ohio State wrestling coach. You've probably heard intimations and maybe a while back you did a deep reading on this. So this will remind you of what was actually alleged and how much culpability Jim Jordan has. And then what I did is I noticed that the major defense or line of defense is how honest Jim Jordan was. So I held him to that. I analyzed his techniques and assessed if they were honest or dishonest. It's not actually as straightforward an answer. Uh, You'll hear that uh, I report that PolitiFact mostly didn't ding him as terribly dishonest, but he does have these ways, these rhetorical ways of conveying information that might not be true. So I guess there is a theme, a common theme of what we know and what is truth connecting the best of the week and the best of the spiel. But just as I shouldn't say best, I probably shouldn't say enjoy, but I hope you do listen to these next two segments. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak 
that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now the spiel. If the entire world isn't concerned with the plight of the regular Gazan citizen, well, they should be. We saw the Al-Hali hospital in Gaza City destroyed today with reportedly hundreds dead. A ground war, an insurgent counteroffensive, will claim the lives of far too many innocents to contemplate. But let us ask ourselves, who is endangering the Gazan citizen? Well, first off, it's the Israeli Defense Forces. Of course, it's the Israeli Defense Forces. They have loosened the rules of engagement. They no longer will be warning buildings when the bombs are about to drop. They'll not be issuing verbal orders before they fire at every suspected Hamas combatant. I don't want to get into the back and forth of root causes and who bears responsibility and if past Israeli actions or attempts to limit civilian casualties have been good, bad, indifferent, or maybe something like the best that could be hoped for. Don't want to get into that. I just want to acknowledge upfront the Very obvious point that if the Israel army rolls into Gaza, they have agency, they have choices, and whether or not what they do is necessary or justified, it is those choices that will endanger and kill many innocent Gazan civilians. It would be insulting to you if I were to say otherwise. But of course, also, Hamas has responsibility. And that responsibility is often expressed as Hamas issued a provocation, and this was, in fact, the intended response. I agree with that. That's true. It is true that Hamas intermixes with civilians as a specific tactic, and that Hamas knows that it can use the sight of civilian casualties to garner world sympathy. But I want to go beyond that right now. Yesterday on the show, Matt Levitt made a reference to some of the statements Hamas officials were making, officials who perpetrated the horrific attacks on Israeli citizens and civilians. We both, Levitt and I, both agreed that Hamas lied about their lack of culpability. But it is instructive to analyze the the direction of those lies. This is from the New Yorker referring to Hamas senior political leader Musa Abu Marzuk. Quote, he further claimed, this time against all evidence, that Hamas fighters hadn't executed civilians or committed atrocities. Such violence may have been done, he suggested, by Palestinian militants and civilians who had followed Hamas fighters through openings in the security wall. Days earlier, the Hamas deputy chief Salal al-Arori spoke to Al Jazeera, and he too blamed the atrocities against Israeli civilians, not on Hamas, but on the regular people of Gaza. When the Gaza division collapsed so quickly and unexpectedly, and people in Gaza, he's saying, realized that the borders were open and that the army guarding the Gaza envelope collapsed, civilians from Gaza, young men and armed men, entered Israel, and some unplanned chaos developed in the clashes. And Al-Arori went on to say, The truth is that our Mujahideen did not target civilians. It is inconceivable that they would perpetrate the kinds of crimes. The civilians found themselves in the middle of the clashes in an open area where many armed men from Gaza arrived, so there were many civilian casualties. Wow. 
He didn't just deflect blame away from Hamas. He shifted the blame onto the civilians of Gaza. They were saying among the non-Hamas citizenry and only the non-Hamas Gazans, you will find the perpetrators of the greatest crimes that Israel was made to suffer, crimes with no military purpose. By the way, some Gazans, regular Gazans, did in fact stream out through the security gates, but Hamas is responsible for the horrors, make no mistake, which is exactly what Hamas wants for us in the West to make mistakes. Hamas wants Israel to mistake schools, mosques, and civilian centers for targets because Hamas purposefully turns them into targets. They use as a tactic the death of the innocent. It's incumbent upon Israel to do what they can to avoid these deaths. But ask yourself who is best served by the inevitable images of suffering children and citizens. That is a tool of Hamas. Who put those people in their crosshairs? Well, the crosshairs or the bomb sightings or the tank turret sites, they all literally have IDF stamped on them. They do. But who keeps the people in those Israeli military sites? It is Hamas. What can Israel do? Good question. Well, largely, they can do much of what they're doing. They did cut off electricity, water, and food. If you listened to me last week, you heard me ask former U.S. diplomat Stephen Simon about water. I didn't understand the tactic of cutting off water. Israel has now restored water. And Israel, the U.S. and international organizations are working with the Egyptians to get shipments of food and medicine in through the southern border. I predict that no Gazans will starve as a result of this Israeli incursion. I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, it will be a horror that Israel should never have undertaken. But speaking of the southern border, hundreds of thousands of Gazan citizens have fled there at the urging of Israel. Egypt is not letting them out, and the Biden administration and the UN very much hope to facilitate this humanitarian corridor. Now, on the program Democracy Now!, Sven Kuhn von Bergsdorf, who is a recently retired European Union ambassador to Palestine, was asked about the order for the Gazans to move south. The implication of the question was that that alone was an injustice. The answer that von Bergsdorf gave was framed in terms of a possible war crime. The announcement of the IDF to basically forcibly evict more than one million Gazans from their homes in the northern part of the ship is likely to be criticized by international legal experts as a war crime if there is no provision made for ensuring humanitarian access and exit and the necessary facilities to accommodate the basic human rights to water, energy, food, and physical safety, let alone health. And this is also clearly signed in all international conventions, Israel has ratified and is accountable to. But listen to what he's saying. If Israel doesn't give aid, food, water, and facilitate a means of exit, they will violate their own treaties. They will violate international law. But right now, work is underway for all those conditions to be met. 
It is quite horrible that Gazans have to move, but move they must for Israel to execute its campaign against Hamas. And the warnings and public statements issued by Israel and Israel's largest ally, the United States, that's a sign that it's an earnest effort. Assad, Putin, Hezbollah, Hamas, they don't even try to avoid civilian suffering. For them, it's a tactic. And yeah, they're the world's worst monsters. They are committing war crimes. Israel should do everything it can to prevent the same. Asking, mm, forcing the Gazans to move, and providing them the means to survive is an example of that. And I am not naive, and I am not heartless. Israel will no doubt launch rockets and fire guns that kill many Gazan civilians, and that will all be tragic. And some, just statistically speaking, some will no doubt be avoidable. And I am not supremely confident that there will be an inquest to analyze every one of those deaths. But who benefits more from the deaths of innocents in Gaza? The Israelis or the self-avowed cult of martyrdom that is Hamas? Hamas charges Israel with genocide. This is from a Sky News report on the destruction of that hospital. The horrific massacre carried out by the Zionist occupation in the Gaza city's Al-Ali hospital, which left hundreds of casualties, most of them displaced families, patients, children and women is a crime of genocide that once again reveals the ugly face of this criminal enemy. Genocide. That Israel has a goal of genocide. Israel was founded to escape genocide. And yes, it's true that neglect or indifference or harsh security measures can cause great suffering, which amounts, if you stretch definitions, to the mass deaths of one specific ethnicity. But genocide is not what Israel actually wants. It is literally what Hamas wants. It's all over their charter and repeatedly made in public statements. But put aside the no you're the real genocide or no you are argument, my point is that Hamas actually wouldn't mind the slaughter, not just of Jews, which we know, but of Palestinians. The Palestinians who they deny the vote to. The Palestinians who they persecute and execute as collaborators. The Palestinians who they use as rhetorical and literal shields. And the Palestinians who they deem expendable to their political goal, which is the destruction of Israel and the death of every Jewish Israeli. And now the spiel. Congressman Jim Jordan has been accused of knowing about but doing nothing about the team physician for the Ohio State wrestling squad in the late 80s through the early 1990s. Jordan was a coach then, and a few wrestlers from that time came forward and they said Jordan must have known that this physician was molesting them. It is hard to credit all the assertions that Jordan must have known as more than assertions. It could have happened. We don't know if it happened. And to some extent, we don't even know who these wrestlers are because many of them have chosen to remain anonymous. But some haven't. 
The former wrestler David Range, by name, told the Washington Post that wrestlers frequently discussed the abuse they felt at the hands of their physician. Jordan was there in the locker room. Here's a quote. Jordan definitely knew about these things. Yes, most definitely. It was there. He knew about it because it was an everyday occurrence. Everybody joked about it and talked about it all the time. One of his accusers was later arrested on fraud charges. Factor that in however you will. There was another wrestler, Mike Alf, who wrestled on the team from 88 to 92, who said Jordan didn't know about it. He also said, this guy Mike Alf said, he didn't consider Strauss's behavior, that's the doctor, Richard Strauss, he didn't consider the behavior as abuse at the time. Looking back, he realizes it was. And he portrays what happened in the locker room as joking about the physician's weird, inappropriate behavior. But then he said Jordan wasn't aware it was going on. And then he added this quote, I know Jim Jordan, he would do anything to protect us. He's the most honest person I've ever met. Is this one of those Manchurian candidates? Jim Jordan is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life? Or is this an honest assessment? Well, unlike those years old accusations and the charges that a person must have known, we can assess a statement about Jim Jordan's honesty. His defenders, and today Paul Ryan was one, are pointing to that exact quality. Uh, Jim Jordan is a friend of mine. Uh, we haven't always agreed uh, with each other over the years. What I've always known Jim Jordan to be a man of honesty and a man of integrity. Integrity. Honesty. Which is also the term Jordan used in his own defense. Still denying um, that you had any knowledge of what happened. I'm, I'm telling the truth. Look, I... I stood up to the Speaker of the House from my home state, stood up to the IRS, and have stood up to the FBI. Over the last six years, PolitiFact analyzed eight of Jordan's statements. Here's the tally. Three were mostly true, one was all true. Three were half true, and one was mostly false. Hey, that's not terrible for a politician, but it's not great for the most honest person that Mike Alf knows. Then there was Jordan's comportment during the Benghazi hearings here during Hillary Clinton's testimony. He doesn't lie. He just puts forward a motivation for the actions of others, which he couldn't prove, didn't even try to prove. Libya was supposed to be, as Mr. Roskin pointed out, this great success story for the Obama White House and the Clinton State Department. And a key campaign theme that year was GM's alive, bin Laden's dead, Al-Qaeda's on the run. And now you have a terrorist attack. And it's a terrorist attack in Libya. And it's just 56 days before an election. Trey Gowdy issued the majority report for that committee. The majority report criticized Hillary Clinton, but could not, based on evidence, find wrongdoing. And Trey Gowdy was the Benghazi Torquemada. But Jim Jordan, along with current Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, went out and issued their own report, and it heavily faulted Clinton. They had no additional evidence that Trey Gowdy couldn't get his hands on, but they just used that same amount of evidence, that same quantity and quality of evidence, and they used it to slam Hillary Clinton much, much more than even Trey Gowdy did. Again, it might not be the exact textbook definition of a lie, but doesn't seem that honest. 
Then there was Jim Jordan's constant criticism of the effects of Obamacare, which was often a criticism not rooted in fact. Here he was on MSNBC last year with Ali Velshi. So yeah, we do think premiums need to come down because they went up so much under Obamacare, three and four times what they were before but Obamacare. But that's, that's just not that's true. Important. That's just not true, Yes, it is true. No, that's just not true. I, I, you and I have these discussions, a, but they're not. A 27-year-old single person used to be able to get a, a, a policy for about 100 bucks a month. Today, that same individual is paying three, four hundred I can't deal this. in macro numbers. I'm sure you know somebody for whom that happened, and I'm sure you know somebody for whom the premium went no, up. This is, ta- this is talking to people who sell health it. insurance, who are in that business. They know what goes on because they're in that business. Go talk to them. But that's and just not true. I talk to on the whole, whole it is true. It's just not them. true. It's not true. Yes, it is. To summarize, most honest person, Jim Jordan, Obamacare premiums went up because, in his experience, people he talked to told him that they went up for them. It's like Donald Trump's claim that murder was at a 47-year high. It's actually closer to the low. But, you know, don't tell that to the family of a murder victim. And on the topic of Trump's truthfulness and how it reflects on Jim Jordan and claims that Jim Jordan is the most truthful, here was this exchange with Anderson Cooper on CNN a few months ago. Do you think the president lies a lot, like Jim Comey says? I do not. I think Jim Comey has leaked information through a friend to the New York Okay, a couple of times, Cooper asked him directly about Trump lying, and Jordan found different ways to change the topic onto someone else who he didn't like, who he thought lied. But come on, I mean, you got to admit, this president has said things which are just demonstrably not true time and time again. I mean, the list is a very long one, almost on a daily basis. I think Andrew McCabe has said things that aren't true, and the inspector... Until finally and plainly... Cooper puts it out there. No, 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 not, 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 not to, to you. Defense. Has the president publicly said anything that is a lie? Well, I, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know of it. Nothing comes to mind, but look. I have long been fascinated by Jim Jordan. He relishes trading barbs. He eschews ever wearing a suit jacket. You're in Congress, dude. Put on a blazer. Jordan's attempted an attack dog style at congressional hearings. He thinks it works well. Freedom Caucus colleagues and outlets like The Federalist and Breitbart seem to agree. None of this means that Jim Jordan knew about abuse more than 20 years ago. And not only do we have to be careful about 20-year-old recollections about third parties, third parties saying what other people must have known, we should also be very humble about the nature of memory. Malcolm Gladwell had a really good podcast about this. But think about what Jim Jordan's defense to all these allegations has been. He hasn't been asserting things like, that's not the way I remember it, or I don't think it went down like that, but it is 20 years ago. He's not saying, look, today it's 2018. I can't exactly remember. I think that they might have been joking. I think I might have just chalked it up to chatter or chit chat or rumors. And also, and this is another thing he's not saying, but could, He could be saying, and also let's remember, the consciousness we have now about sexual abuse or about doctors abusing athletes or about specifically Big Ten schools harboring authority figures who abuse, that consciousness is totally different from then to now. He's not saying that. Of course, an argument about something like that might rely on something other than black and white thinking. And I think Jim Jordan excels or perhaps can only engage in black and white thinking. And also to put forth an argument like that, to believe it, you'd have to assume good faith on Jim Jordan's part. And my point isn't that we can't assume that. My point is that Jordan doesn't navigate through the world ever assuming good faith on his 
political enemy's behalf. If you judge by the Benghazi hearings or the recent Christopher Ray, Rod Rosenstein hearings or his role in the Mueller investigations, Jordan is clearly not a man who believes that people he has political disagreements can ever exhibit good faith. And therefore, you would guess that he wouldn't think that other people would ever assume good faith on his part. So instead, Jim Jordan is arguing, I am honest, I am not lying, and therefore anyone accusing me is lying. And that is his hill to die on. And die on it, he just may. Corey Warr is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson's the senior producer, and I shall talk to you on Monday.